things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are, that no man should boast before God. By his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. The paragraph before the one we have just read is one in which the apostle contrasts God's wisdom and man's. Last week we defined man's wisdom as any way of thinking or living that excludes God or that refuses God the place of supremacy that is rightfully his. Man's wisdom is so pervasive in our society that all of us have been contaminated by it. Just as the Corinthians had been contaminated by human wisdom in their day, resulting in the divisiveness within their church. Human wisdom changes with the ages. Perhaps the three greatest influencers of human wisdom in the 20th century were three men who lived in the 19th century. They are Marx, Freud, and Darwin. Their fingerprints are all over the events of this century. It is interesting that as we close out this century, Marx and Freud have been discredited. Basically, they have been flushed. And Darwin actually is on his way out, although he doesn't know it yet. It takes a while, you see, for evolution to take place. Uh, Darwin is on his way out, you see, his theories being disputed on a philosophical level. It will take about 25 years for that to trickle down to our high school textbooks, unfortunately. But these three great influencers of this century are basically done. Marx and Freud saw man's problems as originating in nurture or in his environment. Man's problems are related, said Marx, to his economic status. Freud said that man's problems are related to the way he's brought up in his home. And in order to solve those kinds of problems, you have to go back, says Freud, and uh, give some therapy and reorient the person, and thus you'll be able to undo the problems created by the parents. Of course, Marx said that you have to go into the, the uh, economic and the class setting of a culture and change it so that all are equal. The only thing he didn't say was that there are some in Marxism that are more equal than others, uh, as they always are, the more powerful and the more rich. There's a major change that is underway in human wisdom in our day. Uh, it's only beginning to be developed, and it is frightening to think of its prospects. A major 
major change in human wisdom is being driven by genetic science. Today, there is a new kind of scientist called the neuroscientist that is seeking to understand the influence that genetics have upon all of us. The new human wisdom is beginning to say that it's not at all one's nurture or one's environment that creates the problems. Whatever they nurture, whatever the environment, the problems will still be there, they say, because of genetic determinism. In other words, they're saying now, according to human wisdom, that you are wired a certain way genetically. And no matter what happens, you're going to have that set of problems that can't be changed. The way you are, what happens to you in life, is all genetically predetermined. And you can begin to pick this up in some of the uh, reading that you will do with news these days. What happens to personal responsibility if, in fact, this idea that man is toying with is true? How do you say that something is right or wrong if a person is pre-wired to do that or to be that? How do you decide what crime is or what punishment ought to be if genetic determinism is correct? In fact, you can't. You can't say what is right or wrong anymore. And a person cannot be held responsible for his actions because he's wired that way. So you see there is a major change that is underway in our day as to what human wisdom is. But the one thing that links all of these together is that man's wisdom inevitably leaves God out, or at least refuses God to place the supremacy that is rightfully his. In contrast to human wisdom, however it may be defined at any particular time, is God's wisdom. God's wisdom is a way of thinking and of living that gives Jesus Christ the supremacy that he deserves. Paul summarizes it in our verse here, in our text here, by saying it is Christ crucified. That is the wisdom of God to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Gentiles, foolishness. The Apostle Paul says that God in his wisdom revealed Jesus Christ to us for the purpose of glorifying himself by redeeming the lost through the work of the cross and then reconciling us to himself and indeed ultimately reconciling all things to himself. That is God's wisdom. Paul's argument here is this. If God's wisdom is found in reconciling us to himself and reconciling us as a people together in the church of his son, then he says, why are you Corinthians involving yourselves in behavior that divides God's people? That is not God's wisdom. He says that is man's wisdom. God basically makes three statements about man's wisdom here in verse 19. He says he will destroy it and set it aside. In verse 21, he says that man's wisdom does not bring men to God. And third, in verse 25, God says that his foolishness, God's foolishness, is wiser than men. 
saved. He was one of the powerful men of that city, and especially the Jewish community. God called him. And then in the book of Romans, we learned that a man by the name of Erastus was saved in this city of Corinth. Erastus is called there the city treasurer, but the idea seems to really be the director of public works. The name of this very man has been found in a brick, a paving block, that was uncovered by archaeologists in the city of Corinth. So he was probably the man responsible for the public works of the city of Corinth. He had been called by God. But not many of that class were called. Lady Huntington, who was a wealthy and high-born friend of the Wesley brothers a couple of hundred years ago, used to say that she was saved by an M. For if this verse had not placed the letter M before any, she would never have been saved. She was one of the few of that day, even as there are few today of the elite class who respond to the gospel. There are probably a number of reasons for this, including the fact that people who have much in this world feel little need for anything else for the next. The apostle says here that not many have been called of that class. Indeed, God has purposely chosen what the world in its wisdom discards, the foolish things, the weak, the base things. God has chosen the things that are despised, that are looked down upon by the world. God has chosen the things that are nothing. Literally, the idea is God has chosen the nobodies of this world to be his. As you look at that list, foolish weak and base things, the things despised, the nobodies. Let me just say, welcome to the family of God. Where do you fit in? You may be one of the few of the politically powerful or the elites socially. You may be one of those who is intellectual in this world who has responded to Christ. But most of us are not. Most of us are those that the world looks at and calls us average or below that. God in his wisdom has chosen people like most of us in order to set aside the world's wisdom. The world says, these are the powerful. God says, I choose these. And I give to them my power. Those are the recipients of God's calling. It's humbling, isn't it? And that's part of the purpose of it, as we'll see. And secondly, we want to look at the reasons for this calling, and we find them again in verses 27 through 29, and then verse 31. There are three reasons that I see here as to why God has given this calling to salvation to the poor, to the despised, to the outcasts of this world. The first reason is that God wants to extirpate the wisdom of the world. He wants to exterminate it. He wants to pull it up by its roots. 
so he chooses those he chooses to shame the world's wives, to shame the mighty of this world, to shut down or to nullify those who think they're really something, the noble. The world values these people. The world values the wise, its mighty, the noble. They are important. They are admired. They are listened to. They are interviewed. They are quoted. But God wants to destroy the wisdom of this world. And to do that, he goes against the world's wisdom and chooses those who are looked down upon by the world's wise, mighty, and noble. The second reason that God calls those whom he calls is to exclude the pride of man, verse 29, that no man should boast before God. There is no boasting for any of us. The cross humbles every man that comes to it. For in order to receive the gift of the cross, we have to kneel there and acknowledge our unworthiness. None of us can boast before God. Whatever things the law says, writes Paul in Romans, it says to those under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. is 